0: Father God, I thank you for the blood of your Son. I thank you, Father, that our sins are as far from the east as the east is from the west. We thank you, Father God, that we will never see them, and we will never have to pay for them, and we will never be scolded for them because they are dealt with. They have been scourged. They are gone, never to be seen again. They will never rise from death. Father God, we thank you that the blood of the Lamb heals us today, delivers us today protects us today today is the day of our salvation and we take it father god we take it by faith we receive and we refuse to have anything less than what you paid for we refuse to have anything less than what you paid for father god we declare the truth that we have been saved healed delivered made whole made right made blessed blessed we don't have to earn the blessing anymore We don't have to worry that our mistakes have somehow disqualified us from your blessing and your presence. Father God, we thank you that none of that matters. Jesus took care of all of it. All of it. All of it has been taken care of at the cross. We thank you, Father God, for the resurrection power that lives within us, the creative power that lives within us. We thank you, Father God, that we don't have to know all the answers. We just have to know the one who has all the answers. Father God, we thank you that we lack no good thing. We lack no information that we need, that you bring to us everything that we have need of. You've already supplied everything we need for life and godliness, and we will not go without it. We believe, Father God, we receive it today in the name of Jesus. And, Father God, we give you praise and glory and honor, for you are worthy. You are worthy, Father. You are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy that we should sing forever the praises of your name. You are worthy, and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. (laughs) The title of today's message is Daily Deliverance. This morning, I want to talk to you about our daily deliverance from all the power of death and darkness, Death and darkness have already been defeated through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it is up to us to choose to believe in and to stand in this truth while we wait on our often daily deliverances. Now what do I mean by deliverance? Unfortunately, many believers only think about casting out devils when you say the word deliverance. They think deliverance ministry, we've got to cast devils out of you. For starters, Christians are not possessed by devils. You can be afflicted, you can be harassed, you can be annoying. They can throw darts at your head, but they cannot live in your house. (laughs) Okay, So deliverance is a whole lot more than telling demons to take a walk. The word deliver in the Greek actually paints a picture for us. In the Strong's, the word for deliver is ruomahi. It paints a picture. The Greek and the Hebrew often have pictures that go along with the words that they use. And the picture that this word paints is that of a current. It means to rush by a current, to to draw out of a current, to rescue, to deliver. According to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word rescue means to free or deliver from any confinement, violence, danger, or evil. Okay, The picture that this word is painting is one of someone who is powerless and they're being carried away by a mighty rushing water against their will and they're on the verge of drowning, when suddenly, by God, when suddenly a hand with greater power reaches in, takes hold of them, and quickly draws them up and out of the water and brings them to safety. That's the word to deliver. It is a picture that when we feel like we are helpless and the pressures of this world are carrying us away, or the pressures of sin and Satan, they come against us and God goes, wait a minute, (laughs) <laughs> I got ya. <laughs> I got ya. That's our father. This is a great description of what our father has done. We were all carried away by the power of sin and the presence of sin, like that of a mighty rushing water. We were powerless to save ourselves. It was too strong for us to resist its power and its presence. And we were unable to rescue ourselves out of its power and grip. So, It was just dragging us along, bringing us closer and closer to death. But God. But God in his compassionate loving kindness sent Jesus as the very hand of God to pull us up and out of the power and the presence of both sin and death. And he accomplished all of that through the cross. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says this, speaking of the Father, Who hath delivered us, past tense, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated, past tense, translated us into the kingdom of his, your son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. And because we have the forgiveness of sins, we also have deliverance from all the power and the authority and the jurisdiction of darkness. Darkness is illegal. (laughs) Darkness is illegal in the kingdom of God. Darkness isn't allowed in. God has pulled us up and out of the dominion of the enemy, spiritually speaking. He no longer has the right to touch our lives. Everything he does is illegal. And we've got to get a mindset that, Hey, (laughs) you're illegal. Get your hands off my life. Since all of our sins were dealt with at the cross, Even when we fail, we do not become legally available for Satan to devour. So often the church says that if you're struggling with something, Satan has access to you. Not true. He's illegal. Our father has already picked us up and moved us into the kingdom of his dear son. Satan can throw darts. (laughs) Satan can instigate people. But Satan doesn't have the right to touch us. He's illegal. We are the property of our Heavenly Father, and He has legally pulled us up and out of all the dominion of sin and death permanently. In Hebrews 9, verse 12, it says this, And He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. According to the Strongest Concordance, the word for eternal here is the word ahi onios, and it means perpetual. So often when we say eternal, we think of when we die and go to heaven. <laughs> and that's what people will preach. They have an altar call come and receive Jesus and receive eternal life so that when you die, you go to heaven. Jesus is so much more than fire insurance. <laughs> okay? This eternal life is the quality and kind of God's life. This eternal life is perpetual life. That means every day you get up, you have enough of the life of God in you to handle whatever's coming your way. You have perpetual eternal life working inside of you all of the time. We have no business telling ourselves we're victims. We have to get a different mindset about what we have on the inside of us. We have eternal perpetual life of God because it's perpetual, that means there are no intermissions. There's no intermissions, okay? There's not some point in our life or in our walk where God says, okay, Satan, you can have access to them. Not going to happen. Okay? No intermissions, (laughs) no interruptions, and no interference. Satan cannot take us out of the kingdom. He cannot take us out of our eternal life. It's impossible. Because our eternal, our perpetual life of God inside of us is permanently in effect. Satan can't do a thing about it. So, if we have an eternal, perpetual redemption, then we also have an eternal, perpetual deliverance. An eternal, perpetual deliverance from the power of sin and death. We are no longer under the authority or the jurisdiction of the enemy. We have been moved by our Father to a completely different neighborhood. (laughs) He moved our house to the good part of town. (laughs) He moved us out of the curse and into the blessing. He moved us out of the power of the enemy and into the power of the Almighty God. We have moved and we're not going back. (laughs) So the word redemption also paints a wonderful picture. Redemption means, according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, this, the repurchase of captured goods or prisoners. The act of procuring the deliverance of persons or things from the possession and power of captors by the payment of an equivalent. One of the things I love about the picture that this word paints is that God has always considered mankind to be his. Okay, It says this is the repurchase. That means you're buying back something that was already yours. Even though mankind fell under the dominion of Satan, he was always God's. God says, this is my son. He's got himself into some trouble, but he's still my son. He counted mankind as having been taken captive through the lies of the enemy, who then held us captive as slaves to sin and death. And in our own strength, mankind could never have the power or ability to escape the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of Satan. So we needed a deliverer, a redeemer, someone who would count us worth dying for because death was the purchase price of our freedom. And that's another reason I love the picture that this word paints. God counts us as being as valuable to him as Jesus. Redemption says I have to pay what it's worth. God looked at mankind and he looked at Jesus and he says, you're worth it. You're worth me wrapping myself in flesh and coming to earth and bearing your sin for you. You're worth it to me. More than anything in the world, God wanted us free. Free from sin. Free from Satan. Free from self. Free. And he knew the price and he was willing to pay it. When you make a payment, that's an equivalent. It's called a ransom. When evil men want to kidnap someone for a ransom, they don't pick someone whose relatives are poor. <laughs> they pick the son or daughter of someone who's very wealthy knowing that the parents will be willing to give even up to all that they have for the safe return of their child because their child is of infinite worth to them so there would be no price too huge to pay for the safe return of a child this is the heart of our father this is the heart of our father, he looked at us and he saw the sin, the death, the suffering. God hates suffering. And that's all sin ever produces is suffering. And he says, I will pay the price to release you from the power of this sin. Not just the power in us, but the power around us. The things it produces. He says, I don't want this, for I want to take you out of that captivity. God says, suffering is captivity. He doesn't want it for us. He redeemed us from the suffering that Satan brings into our lives. Our Father, in his great love and compassion for all of mankind, was willing to come in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus and pay the purchase price to deliver all of mankind out of all of the power of sin, death, and Satan, and to bring to us the complete freedom, complete freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Our Jesus purchased in his own blood our complete freedom redemption and deliverance. I like that. It's not like he said, I'm going to move half of you now (laughs) and we'll come get your rest of your stuff later. No, he says, I'm moving all that you are and all that you need. I'm going to put you in this kingdom, the kingdom of God. We don't have to add something to his redemption. We don't have to produce good works. We don't have to produce devotion. We don't have to produce these things in order to live in the kingdom. We didn't put ourselves in the kingdom. It's not like we could rent a truck and put all our stuff in it and drive it across over into another kingdom. It's not possible. The Father has to pick you up. He has to reach down and pick you up and put you into your kingdom so that you'll be safe. Jesus purchased in his own blood our complete redemption and deliverance. He has already destroyed all the power of sin, all the power of death, and all the power of the dominion of darkness. And he has placed us in the kingdom of the Son of his love. This kingdom works by love. This kingdom operates by love. His love in us. He has done all of that, not just to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. What if we really believed heaven was in us? (laughs) What if we walked every day thinking heaven is in here? The power of God is in here. The same Jesus that walked the earth and laid hands on the sick and told the dead to rise. That Jesus lives in here we would think differently would we not understanding the reality of our spiritual deliverance is the basis for understanding that God wants our spiritual victory to translate into the natural realm just because sin and death and Satan have been defeated it doesn't mean that they cease to exist (laughs) there will be a day but it's not here yet (laughs) they still seek to bring believers under their power through natural means like sickness, disease, lack, poverty, persecution, pain, offense, misunderstanding, and hatred. All of these are tools of the enemy to bring us under his dominion. He uses them in an effort to distract us from the truth of our complete redemption and deliverance. The enemy wants to try to convince us that we are still his slaves in one way or another. And he's very good at convincing us if we've fallen, if we've failed, that somehow he has the right to harass us. It's not true. The truth is, our Father wants us to be delivered or rescued from all the snares and schemes of the enemy, no matter what kind of package that they come in. God calls our enemy, Satan, the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And in 1 John 5.19, it also says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, under the influence of sin, death, and Satan. In other words, the enemy is real in this world. And he affects a lot more than we give him credit for. I think that's why he finds it so easy to harass us, because we don't necessarily detect his schemes. So not only is Satan blinding the mind of unbelievers to keep the truth of the gospel away from them, but he is also trying to blind the mind of believers to the truth of our complete deliverance and his complete defeat. And he uses the influence of the natural world and our natural thinking against us. One of the things the Lord has been talking to me about for the last few months is how much natural thinking goes on in our head. (laughs) So natural, (laughs) that we're used to just thinking natural thoughts. Unfortunately, that which is natural is not necessarily that which is spiritual in accordance with God. What I believe the Lord is showing me is that Satan gains inroads into our life not because of sin, but because we are not on guard against his subtle influences through the natural world and our natural thinking. And that's because we have natural bodies and natural brains that the natural world often seems so much more real to us than our spiritual kingdom. That's one of Satan's favorite tricks. He gets us listening to the natural realm more than the spiritual realm, especially when we really do need to be delivered or rescued in the here and now. And when our rescue doesn't seem to come quickly enough as we would like. (laughs) What happens when our deliverance doesn't come as quickly as we would like? Um, We usually complain. (laughs) which is not helpful (laughs) and is counterproductive to our faith. In those moments, we need to take hold of the spiritual truth that we have already been delivered from all the power of the enemy. Therefore, we are currently delivered. You see, if it's already done, then it remains already done. Spiritually speaking, we are completely delivered. We live in a different kingdom, and we're the one that brings the kingdom into this natural world. That's the only way it comes, is through believers. So if I was delivered, then I am delivered. And I will continue to see that I am delivered over and over again because God is faithful. It's like Pastor Steve said, he can't remember when God's ever failed to answer a prayer. that's because God never fails to answer a prayer. Sometimes you have to stand, sometimes you have to wait. But the truth is, because we are already delivered, we shall see our deliverance. This is basically what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Speaking of the Lord, he said, Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us? Basically, the Apostle Paul says God has delivered, God is delivering, and God will continue to deliver. In other words, this is who he is. He is our rescuer. He is our deliverer. He pulls us out from all the power of the enemy. It's already done, and he says we can have it now. The Apostle Paul understood that our spiritual deliverance is the basis for our physical deliverance, and by physical deliverance, I mean anything in the physical realm that causes pain or comes from the enemy. When Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, he said we should pray, deliver us from evil. (laughs) some translations add the word one deliver us from the evil one that works too because all the evil comes from him (laughs) but that word actually means hurtful it's the word proneros it means hurtful it's evil in its effect or influence it includes sickness disease calamity adversity malice guilt and the devil God says guilt is evil. (laughs) He doesn't want us to live in guilt. He wants us to live free of condemnation. He wants us to know that our sins have been forgiven. They're as far as the east is from the west and we never have to bear the guilt of them. Guilt is evil. (laughs) God says he wants us to have a clear, clean conscience. God wants us to be delivered physically from all that causes pain and spiritually. Because of our spiritual deliverance, he says we can have physical deliverance. He wants us to be delivered from that which causes pain, hurt, and suffering. God says suffering is evil. It doesn't come from him. It doesn't come from his hand. His is the hand that reaches in to rescue us. And the Apostle Paul knew that quite well. He was basically almost always in need of physical deliverance. In fact, it was practically a daily necessity for the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 3.11, he talks about the several places where he found that he needed physical deliverance. Starting with 11, it says, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. He had a list of all the places (laughs) that he found he needed to be physically delivered, physically rescued. He says, What persecutions I endured, but out of them all. The Lord deliver me out of them all. That's God's plan for our life. Out of them all. He says that basically everywhere he went, (laughs) there were persecutions and afflictions waiting for him. But the Lord reached into those situations and pulled him out every single time. Which is good to know because he goes on to say this. (laughs) Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution. He tells you up front, but God delivered them every single time. Yes, there's going to be persecutions. Yes, there will be afflictions, but God will deliver you every single time. So why do we have persecutions and afflictions? Because Satan doesn't play fair. He doesn't like our light. He doesn't like the fact that he can't stop us from shining the light of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. So he tries to get us to give up on trusting and expecting the Lord to pull us out of all those snares and schemes of the enemy. Now you may think, well, I'm not suffering persecution. I'm not a missionary. I'm not laying my life down on the line. How does this really pertain to me? What is persecution according to the scripture? And what exactly does affliction entail? Because he says, I'm promising you, you're going to have some. (laughs) Well, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary says this about persecution. The act or practice of persecuting, the infliction of pain, punishment, or death upon others unjustly, particularly for adhering to a religious creed or mode of worship, either by way of penalty or for compelling them to renounce their principles. Isn't this exactly what Satan does? Isn't this exactly what the world tries to do to us? Just look on Facebook and the political pages. Oh my heavens! (laughs) <laughs> you want to see persecution against righteousness the political realm is the best place to look it's so overt so angry so wicked <laughs> and they don't even see that that's what it is but that's persecution when you go to lunch and you want to pray for your meal and that little voice says to you oh no you someone will be offended if you pray where did that come from the enemy why he doesn't want your light shining He doesn't want people to know about the reality of Jesus Christ. Those are kinds of persecutions and afflictions. The state of being afflicted, a state of pain. Do we see a theme here? (laughs) A state of pain, (laughs) of distress or grief. Affliction is also the cause of continued pain of body or mind, such as sickness, loss, calamity, adversity, and persecution. Satan doesn't play fair. He's the God of this world, and he uses the stuff in this world to come against us. He will use whoever or whatever he can to get believers to renounce what they believe to be true. You see, Satan knows he can't do anything about the fact that we're saved. He can't do anything about the fact that we live in a different kingdom. But he will try to pressure you, to convince you, to give up on your healing, to give up on your provision, to give up on your promises. You see, that is persecution. He wants us to let go of what belongs to us. lie to us. It's been so long. It's not gone yet. Surely you don't expect God to still do this. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Why? Because he promised. He promised that he would rescue us out of them all. Out of them all. Satan doesn't play fair. That's too bad. (laughs) We don't have to play fair either. We can stomp on his head. You know what dominion means? The word dominion, it means to tread on top of. That means we have to tread on top of the stuff he throws at us. Take dominion. Tell him we're not having any of his shenanigans. But Satan hopes that we will give up on our healing, our provision, our help, our strength, our hope, our trust, and our faith in Jesus Christ for the deliverance from the daily pain and suffering that comes from various so-called natural resources. The entire world is under the influence of the evil one. And he's out to pressure believers into letting go of the truth of our full redemption and full deliverance. If you let go, God will let you. (laughs) God will let you let go. Don't let go. (laughs) Don't let go what belongs to you. You may have to stand and fight, but don't let go. God says he will bring you out on the other side. The Apostle Paul said, all who live godly will suffer persecution. And even Jesus gave us a promise that no one I know of is happy about. (laughs) In John 16, verse 33, he says, In this world ye shall have tribulation. Everybody loves that promise, right? (laughs) Ye shall have tribulation. That's not all he said. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. Tribulation is going to be part of our life. Tribulation includes any kind of evil pressure. That's what tribulation is, any kind of evil pressure. It includes all afflictions and all persecutions. So you can take all of the persecution and all of the physical afflictions and put them all into a pile called tribulation. (laughs) All of us have some. But Jesus said, These things I've spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. That's where it starts. You see, he starts with the peace. In me, you might have peace. You see, what happens when we lose our peace? We start submitting to the fear and the worry and all of these. He says, No, no. Doesn't matter what's going on outside. Doesn't matter what kind of afflictions or persecutions or tribulations are going on. He says, In me, you can have peace. Peace starts in our heart. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What's in the world? He's already overcome it. It's already been defeated. We've already been delivered. He says it's ours. We can have it and walk in it. Jesus defeated all the power that's behind tribulations. That's what the Lord's been trying to tell me. He says, you underestimate What's behind the tribulation? You think it's just a natural thing. Oh, there's a leak in the faucet. He says there's an agenda even behind natural things because the God of this world wants to get you off of your faith and off of what belongs to you. So even minor irritations have an agenda. It's a natural thing, but Satan is still trying to use it against us. Jesus never promised that tribulation would not come. I wish he had. (laughs) I wish he had said, yes, if you accept Jesus, no more tribulations. Someday that will be the truth. But in this world, we will have tribulation. But he did promise that we could have and hold on to our peace in him. You see, the word that says have doesn't mean to just possess. It means to have, possess, and hold. And in other words, we can let go of our peace if we want to. We don't have to. In fact, if we're wise, we won't let go of our peace. This means that we can keep our peace by being mindful of our place of safety in him. It's being mindful of the fact that he has already defeated all of the power of the evil one, and that's in this world, and that we, by our faith in Christ, have already been delivered. We've already been given the victory. It's already finished. 1 John 5.4 says this, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now I used to understand this as saying that if I had faith, then victory would be mine. But that's not what it actually says. It actually says that our already accomplished victory inspires our faith. You see, it's the victory that overcomes the world. Think about that. We're starting from the finish line. The victory, the already finished truth, is what conquers this world. Years ago, I always was trying to build my faith so that I could grab the victory. (laughs) It doesn't work very good that way. It takes a really long time. You chase that victory all day long. (laughs) He says, no, no, start by knowing you are already delivered. You are already rescued. You are already redeemed. You are already in another kingdom. If you start from the victory, the victory will bring the victory in the natural realm. Our Father has already delivered us from all the power of the enemy. So all we have to do is subdue the enemy with our faith in what we know is already accomplished. He said, what does our faith do? It just treads on top of Satan. You're wrong, Satan. You're wrong, Satan. You're wrong, Satan. (laughs) We just keep stepping on him because the truth is I already have victory. I've already been delivered. Recently, my daughter Sarah received some good news about her current tribulations with her health. And she was rejoicing in some really good news. And she said to me, you know, it's a lot easier to believe God when his promises have already come to pass. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's a lot easier to believe God when you see that he was right all along. And you struggled to believe, and you struggled to believe, and you struggled to believe, and then you see it, you go, oh... That's a lot easier now. (laughs) Yes, because we see the faithfulness. We see that what God was telling us the whole time was the truth. But the pressure of the evil one, the pressure of the world, the pressure of pain, the pressure of fear, the pressure of worry, all of that makes us wobbly. (laughs) And we go, God, where are you? Why isn't this working faster? (laughs) And we start to wonder if our deliverance is really there. But if we start from the beginning, we start from the victory. I have the victory. And faith in my already done, accomplished victory is what will get me over what this world throws at me. I said to her, yep, I know. It's so easy to believe God when it's all done and over with. (laughs) It's so easy when we see the fulfillment of the promise and our faith goes sky high and we think we can do anything because the pressure is gone. It's so easy for me to believe you're healed, (laughs) so easy. (laughs) Why, because I don't have the pressure of worry and fear and pain and suffering. That's why it's important that we pray for each other. You see, the person going through the trial, they're hanging on (laughs) to their victory. Sometimes tooth and nail, you you know it's the truth, but all of that pressure comes against you. Satan comes against us and says, let go. It doesn't belong to you. Let go. He doesn't love you that much. Let go. He's failed you. Let go. Don't let go. The good news that Sarah received is that she had a scope done. And she was diagnosed a few months ago with an autoimmune disease called EOE. It has to do with eosinophils in her esophagus. The scope came back completely negative. Zero Eosinophils. She is completely <laughs> delivered from that disease. Good news. <laughs> we need to see with the eyes of faith that our victory is already completed, that it is a past tense fact and reality. We need to see that we truly have already been delivered from all the power of the enemy. And then our faith in this absolute truth will enable us to subdue all the power of our enemy no matter how long it takes or how much he resists. In James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says this, but he, God, giveth more grace, more grace, more of his absolutely free, loving kindness, more of his presence, more of his power, more of him working in our life, more grace. He giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. You know who the humble are? The ones who ask, (laughs) the ones who say i can't do this by myself jesus (laughs) i can't do this in my own strength that's the humble god gives us more grace and it says submit yourselves to god therefore resist the devil and he will flee he will run away from you he does not like the grace of god god working in us and through us this scripture says that our Father giveth more grace, more divine influence on our heart. You see, sometimes we struggle with, do I have enough faith, God? Can I get this faith to work? God's grace is working on our heart. God's grace is helping us to believe the truth that we have already been delivered. We get more power of the Holy Spirit. We see more and more the kindness of God made real to our senses. And it's then we can submit ourselves to our Father's love And Satan cannot do anything but run away. Satan can't stand us knowing how good our father is and how much he loves us. He can't stand knowing that we know that we have already been completely delivered from all the power of the enemy. We are utterly, completely delivered. The truth is, we have been rescued. And so therefore, it must be true that as we submit ourselves to our father, our already finished deliverance will swallow up and subdue our current tribulations. Our Father will bring about our current deliverance through our submitting to His call to co-rule and co-reign with Him, which we do by cooperating. (laughs) You see, our Father is always at work on our behalf, in our hearts and in this world. He moves things and people. How do you think we ended up in Kenosha? (laughs) He is always orchestrating situations so that we can walk into what He has for us. But we can't do that if we don't cooperate with His way of getting stuff to us. We always have to remember that our Father will not make us do anything. Sometimes I wish that weren't true. God, make me! <laughs> make me do this! <laughs> I mean, that's not the relationship He wants with us. It's a cooperate with me. Let me do it through you. We are called to co-rule and co-reign by cooperating. I want you to see 1 John 5:4 again. It says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What does whatsoever refer to? Some of the modern translations have actually changed the word to whosoever, because that makes more sense to our natural thinking. So it would say this, whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. But we already know by experience that is not necessarily true. (laughs) Don't we? Just because someone is born of God and has faith doesn't mean that they're automatically overcoming the world. So, well, the word whatsoever actually means all. All that is born or procreated or conceived by God is what overcomes the world. Now, this verse begins with the word for, which means that in order to understand this verse correctly, we need to see what it's there for. If we look at the verse before it, I think we get a much better understanding. Verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep or fulfill his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. First, let me tell you what this does not mean. What this does not say. This does not say that if we really love God, we will try really hard to fulfill all the rules and regulations of the old covenant. That is not what this says. It's not even close. But so many believers look at this and they go, Oh, if I really love God, then I have to make myself obey all of these commandments. That is religion. That is not relationship. The word for commandments in this verse is not the Greek word nomos, which refers to the law or the Torah. This word is intole, and it means injunction. That is an authoritative prescription. An authoritative prescription can be described as directions given from somebody with authority and expertise to somebody in need of that person's authority and expertise. So just like a doctor has the authority and the expertise to write us a prescription, which we can then decide if we want to fulfill, (laughs) even so, that's the same concept that this word is, that our Father writes us an authoritative prescription. He knows exactly what we need to do. He knows exactly what we need to meditate on. He knows exactly what we need in order to overcome the world. That's what this word is. It is an authoritative prescription. This verse is not about us proving that we love God. It's actually talking about what the love of God in us produces. The love of God in us produces love for other believers, and it produces a desire to follow, keep, or fulfill God's prescriptions for us. Instead of going to Walgreens to fulfill it, we go to Jesus to fill it. He gives us the power to do it. His love in us, working in us, is the power to fulfill the prescriptions our Father gives us. So we can understand this scripture to say that God, in his love for us and his love through us, gives us prescriptive directions that we need. That would be his word to us in order to overcome the world. That's what I always do when I have a problem. I go to God and say, I need a word. Why? Because I have to overcome something, either a fear or a worry or a problem. God, what do you say about this? He gives me his word. So it's his word to us that overcomes. It's his love in us that overcomes. So this scripture really speaks to the love of God and the word of God. And both of these, his love and his word, are both generated, that's what that word means, or born of or comes out of God himself. Both of these are given to us to enable us to overcome the world because both of these activate our faith. Knowing and understanding His love, our security, how much He loves us, how crazy about us, that gives us faith. And then He gives us our authoritative prescription. Yay, God! (laughs) Yay, God! This is not a problem! (laughs) So that's when it says whatsoever. is talking about His love and His word. His love and His word is what overcomes the world. It is our Father's desire that we always experience our deliverance from the power of the enemy. But in order to do that, we need to cooperate with his love and his word and act on his directions in faith, knowing that we're trusting in an unfailing God who has already provided us with a completely finished deliverance. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that he fully expected to be delivered out of every attack of the enemy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 says this, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, that all of the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Some scholars believe that he was actually talking about he escaped being thrown to the lions. So he was literally delivered from the mouth of a lion. But we can also think of it metaphorically. He was delivered from the mouth of the roaring lion, Satan. He goes on to say, The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and will save me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Why? Because he already has. That's why he could be so sure. He's not banking on God being flighty. Will he or won't he? Am I good enough or not? No, God already has, therefore he will. When we understand God already has, he will is not a question anymore. No, he already has. This will come to pass because he already has. This too should be our declaration, especially in the most serious circumstances. The Lord will deliver me out of every evil work. Like my daughter said, it's easy to believe God when the battle is over. (laughs) It's easy to believe God when we see that the promises can get passed just the way he said they would. That's how we need to see our rescue and deliverance from every evil work. It's already done. We really have been delivered from all the power of the evil one. So by faith in what's already done, we will continue to be delivered." This message came about because of my and my family's experiences over the past few months. As you know, my daughter has been fighting several afflictions in her throat. One of the most distressing symptoms that she's been ex- experiencing is the feeling of being strangled. She feels various degrees of pressure against her esophagus. And so to her, it feels like she's fighting for her very breath and life. So. As you can imagine, it would be very disconcerting, <laughs> very overwhelming to feel like somebody is strangling you all of the time. And so, of course, as her mom, I went to prayer over her situation. I asked God to speak to me in his word about her affliction. And he gave me 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, verse 10 in particular, and I want you to see. It says this, this is the Apostle Paul, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust he will yet deliver us. What spoke to me immediately in this scripture was that the Apostle Paul said that they despaired even of life and that they believe they might not even live through their ordeals. I knew the Lord was speaking to me about Sarah. (laughs) When you feel like you're being strangled, you begin to worry that you might not live through your ordeals, especially when the doctors don't have any answers or help. But I like what the Apostle Paul said about his own sentence of death. He said it actually helped him and Timothy not to trust in their own resources. When our life is on the line, we usually stop guessing and start praying. <laughs> at times like that, we don't want to lean on our own understanding. We want an authoritative prescription from our Heavenly Father. So, so often, it's easy to put our trust in doctors or specialists or information that we find online. But when we feel like we really might die, it's time to quit looking at our own plans, our own abilities, and our own resources. And it's time to quit putting faith in our own faith or even faith in our own prayers, and put all of our faith in the one who has already delivered us. And this is exactly what Sarah did. She went to the Lord and his written word, and God began to speak the truth of his already provided healing into her heart. When her symptoms would start to feel worse, she would get out her fighting words, and she would read them over and over again. She would speak to her own heart and tell it the truth of her Heavenly Father's great love for her. She would keep her eyes on the truth of God's word, even though everything in her flesh screamed that she would certainly die. From time to time, when the sentence of death would overwhelm her, she would call and ask me to pray for her. Sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, our physical battles can just get the best of us and overwhelm us. And what we need at times like that is someone to stand in prayer with us, believing that the reality of our already accomplished spiritual deliverance will indeed swallow up all of our current afflictions and tribulations. The most difficult time to stand and stay in faith is in the middle of the storm that threatens your life. That threat of death can be against any area of our life, Satan loves to tell us that we're going to die emotionally, or physically, or mentally, or financially. He's always threatening death. (laughs) The threat of death comes when we can't see a way out. It comes when it looks like there is no answer to be found, when it looks like there is no way that we could possibly be rescued. It's then that we need someone else to come alongside of us in love and in prayer, and to help us remain standing to help us to keep looking at the reality of the already accomplished deliverance. This is what the Apostle Paul says got him through this great peril. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, it says this. He says that he and Timothy actually had help with their battle, their sentence of death. It says, Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us, their deliverance, came by the means of many persons. Thanks may be given by many on our behalf. The Apostle Paul and Timothy didn't go through their sentence of death kind of storm by themselves. They were upheld, strengthened, helped, and even saved from physical death because of the prayers of the saints. Our Father has given us an already finished redemption and deliverance. Satan's going to come along and tell you it doesn't belong to you. He puts pressure on us physically. He puts pressure on us financially. He puts pressure on us to get us to believe that it's not already done. The truth is, like Sarah said, it's easy to believe it's done when we see the promise. But like Pastor Steve said earlier, God will strengthen us to be able to receive receive and conceive the promise. It's a work of God in us, but it's not just by us. What I find with Word of Faith people (laughs) is we say, I'm healed, and I don't want anyone to pray for me. I'm healed, so I'm not going to tell my neighbor or my prayer partner or my spouse. I'm not going to put any of my burden on anybody else. That is not what we see in Scripture. That is not what we see in Scripture. You see, sheep do better in flocks. (laughs) Sheep do better in flocks because sheep take care of each other. Everybody, if you're going through a storm, needs someone to come alongside. Because it is harder for the person in the storm to see the reality that it's an already finished salvation. It's an already finished deliverance, that this is the truth. And it's just a matter of time before this truth overtakes the rest of my life. Sometimes the storm gets too big, and you can't do it by yourself. There's no shame in that. There's no guilt in that. The Apostle Paul... Needed help in prayer. (laughs) The Apostle Paul needed someone to come along and pray for him. He asked for prayer all the time. Why? Because the enemy doesn't play fair. The enemy doesn't like your light. He doesn't like the fact that Christ is in your life and he shines through. So he comes against us in all of these different ways. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And in me, you will too, because it's already finished. But if you're in a storm, don't you dare keep it to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. God says that we're a body. He says if one part of you hurts, the other part of you hurts. If one part rejoices, the other part rejoices because we're one. Satan wants to get us alone. He wants us to keep our troubles to ourselves because it's easier to wear us down (laughs) when we're all alone. Don't let Satan do that. Ask somebody to pray with you. Ask someone to stand with you. Apostle Paul said he wouldn't have been delivered if it wasn't for the prayers of the saints. We don't want you to get lost in the storm. We don't want you to let go of your promises. We don't want you to lose what Jesus has already prayed for. If you have a storm and you would like someone to agree with you in prayer, we will do that. (laughs) I will pray and you will be dismissed and you can come if you like. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your all ready, finished salvation, already finished deliverance, all ready, finished redemption. You have taken us out of the grip of the enemy and placed us in the kingdom of the Son of your love. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness in this life. And Father God, one of the greatest gifts you've also given us is brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can stand together and together we can overcome whatever comes against us. We don't have to stand alone. We don't have to go it alone. We don't have to be overwhelmed. We can be strengthened and helped by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, I thank you for this word, and I ask, Lord, you would sow it into our hearts. When a threat from the enemy comes, we see it for exactly what it is. It's just a threat, and we already have the already finished deliverance to meet that. We begin to see ourselves as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, and that we don't let Satan push us around. So Father God, I thank you for your word. I ask that you bless it to their hearing and that you sow it deep in their hearts. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.